Silver. We have the firewood, but where's the lamb? The Lord will provide a sacrifice, my son. In God. Please. Please. Please, Father. Forgive me. Well, if you don't know the rest of that story, that is a very disturbing scene. But thank God we know the rest of that story. Amen? And for those of you that don't know the rest of that story, you're going to learn it today. Take out your Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 22. It's on page 8. If you're using one of the Bibles, you may have picked up when you came in this morning. We are today going to be looking at probably the most well-known story in the Bible not only among Christians, but even those outside of the faith, even just in secular world, people know this story of Abraham and his son Isaac. Uh, we've had a lot of fun in our series of uh, beginnings in Genesis and, and these stories. We've had a lot of fun. We've laughed at, you know, um, Adam and Eve being naked in the garden, and we had some fun last week with Abraham and his sign, and, and we've had some fun with Noah, but today is going to take a little different tone, so you guys are going to have to hang with me. Um, it's going to be a little more somber and sober because that's what the text demands uh, of this story. And let me just kind of catch you up to speed what is happening in this scene that we just saw that we're going to read about in Genesis chapter 22. We, we met a man last week named Abraham, and Abraham was promised a son. Even though Abraham was, was well up in years, he was you know, in his 90s, his wife was uh, in her 90s, they were both well beyond childbearing years. God promised them a son, and that through that son, they would have many other sons and descendants and offspring, and that Abraham would be blessed in a great nation. We know it today as the nation of Israel. Would, would come from this son and through Abraham and through his line. Abraham had to wait 25 years for the fulfillment of God's promise to have this son Isaac. At this point, he's probably, most scholars believe, between 14 and 19 years of age. He's, he's a teenager. And at this point, I mean, life is great for Abraham and for Sarah and for Isaac. I mean, he's got the land that God promised him. He's got the son that God promised him. Bible tells us he was a very wealthy man. I mean, at this point, up until now, it's the picture-perfect Norman Rockwell-type scene and situation. And then you get to Genesis chapter 22, what we're looking at today, and everything comes to a screeching halt by what I believe to be the greatest test of faith ever recorded anywhere in this story. And for those of you that, how many of you kind of, you grew up in church? Raise your hand. I know that I asked that a couple of weeks ago, okay? How many of y'all would say, I, I newer to church, you know, in the last like five years or so? Did not grow up in church. Raise your hand. Okay, awesome. 
I think for those of us that grew up in church, we've, we've heard this story so many times. We've heard messages preached on it. Maybe we heard it as a kid. You know, little flannel graphs. How I many of y'all remember flannel graph? Remember that? Put those little sticky things up on the, on the board there. And we, we heard the story of Abraham and Isaac, and we know the end of the story so much that we can become desensitized to what was really going on in Abraham's life as a father to pass this incredible test of faith to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And as I was studying for this the last couple of weeks, I, I tried to just put myself into this story. And, and I want to try to put all of you into this story because I think sometimes we read these incredible Bible stories and, and we just were so used to them, they, they lose their effect of what was going on in these people's lives at, at this point. And I don't want us to miss the impact of what was taking place for God to ask him to do this. I think we sometimes think of these stories that, well, these are just fables or myths or fictitious stories. We read the Bible sometimes like it's a, a fictitious novel, and it's not, amen? This is a real man. These are real people. And, and the best way for me to try to identify with this story is as a father myself. You know, I'm a father. I have two children, two teenagers, Caleb and Caitlin. Next month, they'll be 18 and uh, 16. But I want to particularly, and I love both of them dearly, I cannot imagine having to do this with either of my children, what God is asking Abraham to do. But I want to particularly focus on my son for a moment this morning because this story is about a father and a son. And uh, I dug up some old pictures with Shelly's help. This is uh, Caleb, if we put that up there. That is Caleb when he was about four years old on his very first t-ball team. And... Uh, if you look over here at the group picture, that is a good-looking uh, coach there in the back. A few pounds lighter there. And uh, you see Caleb there on, on, the, on the picture, on the, on the team picture? He's down on the very bottom left. Do you notice something different about Caleb than every other kid? He's the only kid not smiling. And we got the picture back and we said, Caleb, your whole team is smiling. Why aren't you smiling? And as serious as he could at four years of age, he said, the big boys on TV don't smile. I'm not smiling. And he was four years old, and he started playing t-ball. Excuse me. And then I blinked. And I'll show you this picture. This picture was taken a week ago on Caleb's first day of his senior year here at Prairie View High School. And he plays for the baseball team. And uh, he'll be graduating this year from this, this high school. And I'm not kidding you. I blinked, and now we have this man in our house. And I cannot fathom God asking me to do to my son what he is asking him to do to his son Isaac as a teenage boy. All the time spent together, all the love, all the experiences. And that's the, that's the, the depth of what is going on in this story. And through this story, I believe Abraham teaches us how to face the greatest tests and trials that come into our life. How many of you guys have ever faced a trial or a test in your life? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. Some of you probably are in one right now. And through this incredible story and Abraham's faith, he gives us four lessons that I want us to look at today. Four lessons to pass the greatest tests of faith that come into our life. You have this in your notes. The first one is this. Expect tests from God. We need to expect tests from God. Let's begin the story in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It says, Now it came to pass after these things, after everything in life was perfect and great, 
that God, what's the next word, church? Tested. Everybody say tested. It says, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And God said to Abraham, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. One of my favorite preachers growing up uh, is the late Adrian Rogers. And he has oftentimes said this. A faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. A faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. If you want a faith that can be trusted, you have to have a faith that is tested. And we need to expect tests of our faith in our Christian life. Now there's a big difference between a test and a temptation. Those are two different things. You see, tests come from God. They're there to strengthen our faith, to bring out the best in us, to draw us closer to God. But a temptation does not come from God. Temptation, God never tempts anyone, the Bible says. He, he doesn't tempt us. He tests us. But who tempts us? Satan, our enemy. Temptations come from Satan. They come from our flesh. They're meant to destroy our faith instead of build our faith and not bring out the best in us, but bring out the worst in us. This was not a temptation. This was a test from God. And what was the test? Murder your son. Sacrifice your son. Take a knife, slit his throat like you would a sacrifice, and then put him in an altar and burn him. I cannot imagine what God is asking Abraham to do. And that test of faith. Grief counselors will tell you today that the hardest thing in, in experience in life to get over is the death of a child. Some of you, God bless you, you you've experience that you know how hard this test would be i mean i think the greatest nightmare that i can imagine is for me to have to preach the funeral of one of my children and then to be responsible for it like abraham y'all this is a huge huge test the greatest test of faith i think i've ever heard of and i want you to understand it's not a matter of if god will test our faith but when and he will. And why does God do that? Because he's, he wants to evaluate our relationship with him, our trust and our faith in him, where we're at. Without tests, there's no evaluation of knowing. I mean, you know that in school, there has to be tests so you can evaluate the progress. First Peter, Peter helps us understand why God brings tests in our life. And he says it this way. I love this passage. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 6, we'll put it on the screen. Peter said this, so be truly glad... When was the last time you had a test and you were like, yeah, woohoo? No. How can we be glad in the times of tests and trial? Here's why. So be truly glad there's wonderful joy ahead in the future, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. Aren't you thankful most trials are just for a little while? These trials, Peter says, will show that your faith is genuine. They show that your faith is genuine. And God never sends a test until he knows that we are ready for the test. God knew that Abraham was ready for this test. And if God sends a test in your life, it's because he knows you're ready for that test. So first of all, the lesson we learn here from Abraham, number one, when you're facing a trial and a test in your life, expect tests from God. Number two, and this is so important, when you're facing a trial or test, focus on promises, not on circumstances. 
It's so easy to get caught up in the circumstances and what's going on and forget God's part in that. Focus on promises, not circumstances. Let's pick up the story in verse 3 through 5. It says, so Abraham, after God asked him to do this, he rose early. He got up early in the morning. I think I would have slept in that day. I would not have set the alarm. I would have, I, I, he gets up early in the morning and he saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men, his servants, with him and Isaac, his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering and he arose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the, what day? Third day. That's significant. The third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go go yonder. I didn't know Abraham was from Oklahoma like me, using words like yonder. And I'll go yonder and I will worship. Notice he doesn't say murder. He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to worship and we will come back to you. You might want to underline that word worship in your Bible here in Genesis 22. That's the first time the word worship shows up in your Bible. And anytime God uh, puts a, a word the first time in the Bible and continues to use it, he defines it within the context. And you know what God is telling us here? Worship involves obedience and sacrifice. It always does. It's not just singing pretty songs to God. It's way more than that. That's just part of it. It's, it always involves obedience and sacrifice. And Abraham here gets up early to do what God told him to do. I mean, in verse 3, he rises up early. He's, he's putting his faith into action. And faith in action always leads to obedience. Without obedience, how much faith do we really have? And obedience is not about what we feel. It's about what we do. Amen? James tells us to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. I mean, based on the circumstances, there is no way, humanly speaking, that Abraham felt like getting up early and doing what God had told him to do. But he was focused on something different. He wasn't focused on the circumstances. He was focused on faith. He was focused on obedience. He was focused on worship. And he was focused on the promises of God. I like the way one writer said it. Our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems unbearable, do what seems unreasonable, and expect what seems impossible. And those were all true of this story of Abraham and Isaac. And it begs the question, how could Abraham do this? How could he have the faith to do this? It's one reason is because he focused on promises instead of circumstances. What were the circumstances surrounding this story? This was his only son that he loved dearly that he had waited 25 years for. And now he's a teenager. And they've had these years of relationship. And God says, get up early. He gets up. Go on. It was a 50-mile journey to Mount Moriah from where Abraham was. I mean, don't you know that he thought about turning back many times? And and the journey took him how many days, church? Three days. You know, three days is a picture in the Bible of death. Abraham had to die to his feelings and self for three days on that journey to do what God had asked him to do. And during that three-day journey, you know what else he was doing? He was spending time with his son. Isaac didn't know what was going on. He didn't know until the moment of the sacrifice, as we'll see in just a moment. And Isaac just thinks, hey, Dad and I, cool, I get to hang out with Dad. I love hanging out with Dad. We're going on a journey. We're going on an adventure. We're going on a camping trip. And they were spending time around probably a campfire. And, and I mean, the circumstances... They were growing closer and closer and closer to one another on this journey. And if if Abraham was just focused on the circumstances, he would have turned back. But instead, he was focused on the promise. 
And what was the promise? This was the promised son. This was Isaac. This was the, the future of the nation of Israel and all these descendants and all these blessings. And again, if, he, he probably was wondering, God, why are you asking me to kill the son that I waited so long for? It was a miracle birth. You've given me all these promises through the son. Now you're asking me to kill him? Humanly speaking, this makes absolutely no sense. And don't we feel that way when we go through tests and trials? When we get focused on the circumstances, this is ridiculous. This is crazy. This makes no sense at all. But Abraham chose to not focus on the circumstances, but to focus on the promises of God. And what were the promises? This is Isaac. This is the son to whom the blessing is going to come, and the nations are going to come. So Abraham believed one of two things. Either God was going to provide another sacrifice, or he believed that God was going to raise him from the dead. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it gives commentary on Abraham and his story. And, it, and God tell, gives us a little insight. And he says this, that Abraham believed God was actually going to raise him from the dead. And this would have been the first resurrection in the Bible. It's not like he had anything else to go on. I mean, that's some big faith, y'all. That is some huge faith that I can go ahead and sacrifice and kill my son. It's okay because of God's promises. I know that God's going to raise him from the dead and he's going to go on and get married and have children because God's promised. Do you see? He's folk And I love this in verse 5. Don't miss this. What does he say to his servants? In, in verse 5, And Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey and the lad and I'll go yonder and worship. And I will come back to you. Is that what he said? No. We will come back to you. Is that faith right there or what? He's like, I know I'm going up there to sacrifice my son, but we're going to come back. Because I'm not focused on the circumstances. I'm focused on the promise of God, and somehow God's going to work it out. You see, faith does not demand explanations. Faith rests on promises. The promises of God. And when we, church, are going through trials and tests, if you right now, many of you, I'm sure right now, some of you, I know your story. Some of you, I don't know your story. But right now, you're going through a, a test. You're going through a trial. You're, you're, the circumstances uh, seem more than you can bear. Will you focus on the promises of God and not the circumstances around you? And what are the promises that we have that we can claim, that we can hold on to to get us through the trials and tests of life? Promises like what Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be the God of all comfort to you. My grace is sufficient for you no matter what you are facing. That I can give you the peace that passes all understanding. Do you all still believe those verses? Those are promises, and we could go on all day with hundreds and thousands of promises in God's word of what he will do and how he will be there for us like he was for Abraham when we go through the greatest tests in life. It's been well said of Abraham that Abraham believed God when he didn't know where, he didn't know when, he didn't know how, and he didn't know why. Will we have that kind of faith? Will we have that faith because we focus on promises instead of circumstances? When we're going through trials in our life, we need to expect tests from God. We need to focus on promises and not circumstances. The third lesson Abraham gives us is this. We need to depend on God's provision. Depend on the fact that God will never let us down. He will provide. We pick up the story in verse 6 as they're headed up the mountain. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. His son Isaac, his only son he loved, had to carry the wood for the sacrifice. Sound familiar? And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, he's got a question. He says, my father. And he said, here I am, son. 
Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac's starting to pick up on the fact that the sacrifice is missing. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. In the Hebrew, it says here, literally, God will provide himself. We know that many years later, God did provide himself a sin offering for all of us. But, but Abraham says, God's going to take care of it. It's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. God's going to what, church? He's going to provide. Everybody say provide. He's going to provide. So the two of them went together. And then they came to the place... And, and this place was at the top of Mount Moriah. This is the same place today where the Temple Mount rests in Israel. If you go there today, this is where Abraham went to sacrifice his son, where thousands and thousands of sacrifices would come for atonement for sin later. That place. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son, he laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. And that's the scene we left off this morning on the screen. And I want you just to think about that moment in time. You know they're both weeping. Abraham has probably got tears streaming down his face. Isaac probably has tears streaming down his face. I'm just telling you guys, as your pastor, I'm going to have to admit to you, I don't have that kind of faith. I just don't. But Abraham did. And verse 8, I love what it says. Abraham had already said he believed that God would provide. God's going to take care of this. I don't know how. I don't know when. But I believe he's going to provide. But you know what? Abraham had a history of faith and God's provision. As you read Abraham's story and what's led up to this, Abraham had lost his wife twice and got her back. He had lost his land once that God promised. He got that back. He saw the fulfillment of a miracle birth when him and his wife were beyond childbearing years. God did a miracle there. He, he brought Isaac into his life as a miracle once before. Couldn't he do it again and bring him back from the dead? You see, Abraham was ready for this moment because he had a history of faith. I would, I would ask you, Christians, do you have a history of faith with God? Can you look back, when you go through a test, can you look back at the other tests and trials that God has brought you through? And those were preparations for the next test. I know that Shelly and I, when we went through the greatest test in, in our life, in, in ministry, we were able to look back at the faithful hand of God and it got us through that. Because just as God had provided in the past, we knew He would provide again. He never, he's never let us down. And He'll never let you down. And as Abraham... And Isaac climbed up Mount Moriah. God, he knew God would provide for his needs. When he, when he was on that mountain, it was just Abraham and Isaac. There was no one else that Abraham in this moment could count on. Sarah, his wife, wasn't there. She didn't go on the journey. Even the servants, the two guys that came along, he told them to stay at the bottom of the mountain when he went up there to worship with, with Isaac. His friends weren't there. None of his other family was there. It was just Abraham and Isaac, his test, and God. And when you get to the place in your life that everybody else, you feel like nobody else is there but you and God, you're at a great place in your life. Because that's when God does his great work, his best work. Because you know that only God can provide for this need. And that was what was happening in this story. And as I, just, I was thinking, I was putting this together, as, as they were climbing this mountain, this test and this trial... What mountain is God asking you to climb right now? We all have mountains to climb at times, tests and trials. 
Maybe it's something with your, going on with your family, your marriage, your kids. Maybe you're trying to climb a mountain that has to do with finances. Maybe you're trying to climb a mountain that has to do with your future or your family's future. and You don't know what's going to happen. You, something, God is somehow testing your faith right now. He's, he's allowing a test, a trial to come in your life and a mountain so that God can be God and He can provide. Will you rest in His provision? Will you wait on His provision? Will you believe it like Abraham? And at this moment, as Abraham has the knife raised to slay his son, he's believing God will provide. And let's see what God does. This story desperately needs a hero at this point. And there's about to be one. Verse 11, but, as he's about to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord. You know who the angel of the Lord is? It's Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate state. The hero, Jesus, shows up. In our deepest, darkest trials of life, guess who shows up? Jesus. Jesus. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And don't you know he was so glad to hear his voice. I'm sure he paused for a few seconds. And he hears it and he's like, oh my gosh, thank you God. Here I am. Yes. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For I know now that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Now I know some of you are thinking, well, I thought it was going to be a lamb. Why is it a ram? The lamb comes a couple of thousand years later. And you know the story. It's caught in the thicket. And so Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. This is the first substitutionary sacrifice in the Bible. Isaac now is not sacrificed. The ram is sacrificed in his place instead. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. You've heard this name of God in the Hebrew. It's Jehovah Jireh. I like that. That just sounds cool. Jehovah Jireh. Sounds like God's hip. And it means the Lord will provide as it is said to this day, to this day, to your day, to your test, to your trial, folks. To this day it is said, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. God did provide just like he said he would provide. I've told you guys this many times. God is never early. God is never late. But he's always right on time. And he was right on time in this story. And he will be right on time in your life. We get frustrated because our timing is different than God's timing. God, I know you're going to provide, but I need you to do it now. He's like, it's not time yet. And when we face the greatest trials in life, we need to ask the same question that Abraham asked when Sarah, his wife, laughed when she heard she was going to have a child, even though she was in her 80s. And she laughed about it. She was 90, actually. And you know what Abraham said to Sarah? Sarah, is anything too hard for God? And the answer is what, church? No. Is there anything too hard for God that he can't provide? Absolutely not. And I want to think about this question. Where and when does God provide for us when we are facing trials and tests? Where and when does he provide? When does that happen? Well, verse 14 tells us when it happens. In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. What does that mean in our life? Here's what it means. Abraham was in the right place, at the right time, with the right faith. 
He was where God told him to be, doing what God told him to do. And that's why God provided. When you are in the center of God's will, He will provide. Listen, church, I, I want to I say this as lovingly as I can, but, but this is very important you understand this. It is very pre- presumptuous and arrogant of us to think as Christians we can live our life apart from God and do whatever we want and then in the middle of a test and trial be away from God and then just call on Him like a bellboy to fix everything. God provides and fixes things when we are in the mount of the Lord, in the right place, at the right time, with the right faith. Now, sometimes those trials and tests get us to that place, amen? And then once we're at that place, God will provide. Do you believe that, church? Say yes. We see it in this story in a miraculous way. When we face trials and the greatest tests in our life, number one, we need to expect tests from God. We need to, number two, focus on promises, not on circumstances. Number three, we need to depend on God's provision. What is it right now in your life that you just need to depend on God's provision to provide? And then number four, the fourth lesson Abraham gives us here is this. We need to look forward to God's blessings when we're obedient in faith like Abraham was. We need to look forward and expect God's blessings. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven heaven. And he said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord. Now that's kind of funny to me. It's like God is on trial. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you, you? Yes, I do. God's swearing by himself. Yes. He's making an oath. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, Abraham, and have not withheld your son, your, say it church, only son. Do you see that phrase keep coming up? Do you think God's trying to tell us something about another only son? Hmm, interesting. Because of this, Abraham, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to bless you. Just like I told you I was going to bless you. And now I have even more reason to bless you because you're your faith and obedience. Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. And as the sand which is on the seashore. It's so much you can't even count it, Abraham. And your descendants, which will come from Isaac, shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your, what's the next word? Seed. Have you noticed in Genesis how the word seed keeps coming up? In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. You know what seed he's talking about there? The same seed he was talking about in the garden with Eve when he said, of the seed of the woman, there will be one, an offspring that will bruise the head of Satan, that will destroy him. Remember that? It's, it's Jesus. That it's through Isaac and through the nation of Israel, the Messiah will come. It's, it's a fulfillment of that prophecy. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Is it fair to say that we've all been blessed By the nation of Israel who brought us the Messiah, the Bible, and Christianity? Absolutely we have. And because you have obeyed, there's the key, you've obeyed my voice. You've obeyed my voice. We need to look forward to God's blessings when we obey God's voice. It's been said that God never wastes our suffering. Excuse me. God never wastes our suffering. There's always a blessing Involved in our tests and trials and suffering. It it might be that it strengthens our faith. It may be that it strengthens our relationship with God. With our Savior. It may be that one day we get to stand before God. And we hear those words we so desire to hear. Well done. My good and faithful servant. You trusted me. You obeyed me. There's always rewards and blessings. Associated with faith and obedience. Do you agree church? Say yes. There was for Abraham. And there is for us.
Now, before we close this story, <clears throat> I want to address something that I think is important in this story, especially for those of you that have never heard this story before. Uh, I, I was talking to Gary, our worship director, and he was watching through the Bible series that was on TV, and he was watching through it, and they got to this scene, and his son, Josh, who's, I believe, about eight or nine years old, he, had no, he didn't know this story, and he was like, Dad, is he... Is he really, is he going to kill him? Is he, is he really going to do this? He's like, oh, t- I can't watch, turn it off. And he's like, no, just hang on, just watch the story. Shelly was telling me that Caitlin, our daughter recently, same, same experience. And I think for a lot of people that don't know and understand all this story, they, they want to know why would God ask such a heinous request of Abraham to kill his only son he loved? I mean, th- th- that doesn't really sound like our God as you trace him through the Bible, the God of love and grace and mercy. I mean, is God some, in this moment in the story, is he some mean-spirited, capricious deity that's playing games with humanity? Why would God ask Abraham to do this? And I want to give you a couple of reasons why I believe, and I believe I can support them scripturally. First of all, God was proving the faith of Abraham to Isaac, his son, and all of us. God already knew Abraham's faith. God knows the beginning and the end. Abraham already knew how strong his faith was. He knew how he would respond. I don't believe this was so much for God and Abraham. I believe it was for Isaac, his son, to see the faith of his father who would carry on the seed. And I also believe it was for all of us today or we wouldn't be talking about it some 3,000 years later. Talking about Abraham being one of the greatest men of faith ever in the Bible. And there's a great lesson in that, church. When we go through our greatest tests and trials in life, just like Abraham, we are going to be a testimony to those around us. Now listen, how we respond to that test and trial will depend on if we are a good testimony for God in our faith or a bad testimony. Because when you go through a trial and test, that's when your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, your family members you've been trying to bring to Christ and they make fun of you. When you go through the greatest trials and tests in your life, that's when you have the greatest opportunity to show your faith is genuine or not. And God allowed this to happen to show the world and to show Isaac, his son, his own family member, the faith of his father that he would carry on. I know that I've told my children many times, you know, when we, they were uh, 10 and 8 when we moved here 8 years ago to start Orchard Church. And we te- stepped out on complete faith in what God had called us to do. Started a Bible study in our living room and here we are today. And I've told Caleb and Caitlin many times, everything you guys have seen God do in Orchard Church from beginning till now and all the lives changed and people saved and discipled and baptized and growth, there is no way the two of you could ever deny the power of God. But it took a step of faith by mom and dad and bringing them on that journey. What is God, parents, listen, parents, what is God allowing to come into your life as a mom or a dad so that you can be a testimony of faith to your children? They're the ones that are going to see your family. That's one reason why God allowed this to happen. You see, when we go through trials and tests, Satan wants us to think that God is picking on us. God has forgot you. God has left you. God's picking on you. Nobody else has ever had to go through anything like this. Listen, church, God is not picking on you. He wants to push your faith out of you. He wants others to see it. He wants you to be a testimony of God's grace and goodness and provision and faith. God wants to allow you to go through tests and trials so that other people will see that and their faith will either be birthed or built. 
Do you believe that, church? Sometimes we just think about ourselves, and we just think about our circumstances, and we get very selfish. And we, and we don't see the way God sees that this is, a, this is your greatest opportunity. You've been praying that you could be a witness to your friends and family. Okay, I'm going to give you one. It's called a test. It's called a trial. I've had some of my greatest evangelistic opportunities when going through a test and trial. I can also tell you that I've been probably the closest in my life to God when I was going through a test or trial. God uses all of it for good. But there's another reason as we close. There's another reason why God allowed this story to take place the way it did. And I want, you to, I want to close with you seeing it from God's perspective. Because Abraham and Isaac's story is a beautiful picture of another father-son relationship. Another father that had an only son that he loved dearly. God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. And I want you to see woven through this story a beautiful tapestry of prophecy between Isaac and Jesus, the other loved son by his father, the only son. And I want you to think about a couple of things. Both were born by promise and an appointed time. God predicted Isaac's birth. He predicted Jesus' birth. Both were miracle births. Isaac with parents that were beyond childbearing years. Jesus born of the Virgin Mary, a miracle birth. Both sons were loved dearly by their father. Remember when Jesus was baptized, the father from heaven said, this is my beloved son who I am well pleased. Both sons were willing to be sacrificed. Both were willing. Isaac was a teenager. I think he could have taken a hundred year old dad. He could have ran. He could have fought. There had to have been a some level of submission and trust on Isaac's part. Both were willing to be sacrificed. Both stories involved three days. A three-day journey of dying to self for Abraham and three days in the tomb uh, for Jesus. Both stories involved two other men. There were two other servants and men that went along with Abraham and Isaac on this journey. And we know that Jesus was sacrificed on the cross. And one man on one side and one man on the other. Both men in these stories of Jesus and Isaac, both men, both sons had to carry their own wood of the sacrifice up a hill. And both showed willing submission to their father for what they were being asked to do. Both stories involve a promised lamb. In the story of Jesus, he was the promised lamb. He was the lamb that God promised all the way back in Genesis that God would provide himself as a sacrifice. Both sons ask a question of their father. Isaac said, where's the lamb for the sacrifice, father? This doesn't make sense. Jesus on the cross to his father said, my God, my God, my father, why have you forsaken me? Isaac was brought back from the dead figuratively. He was as good as dead in Abraham's heart. Jesus was brought back from the dead literally. By his father. And you know what's amazing? Next week we're going to see the next story. And, and, and it, it says that Abraham goes back. But it doesn't mention Isaac. The last time we see Isaac in this story in Genesis mentioned. He's on top of this hill. About to be sacrificed for his, by his dad. And then there's a substitutionary sacrifice in place. This is the last time we see Isaac. We see him on top of a hill. The next time we see him next week. He's getting a bride. The next time we see Jesus Christ, he's getting a bride. The church, us, is, we're going to be presented to him. And as you've seen through this story over and over, God uses this phrase that Isaac is an only son. I've told you guys many times, 
And if God says something over and over, he's trying to tell us something. He's trying to send us a message. God doesn't stutter. He's not being redundant. And three or four times he says, Isaac was an only son, an only son, an only son, an only son. And how can we not think of John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and, say it church, only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He is the substitutionary sacrifice that was meant for all of us. And make no mistake about it, Orchard Church, we are here as a church in this community for one reason and one reason only, and that is to bring people to the saving faith of the God of Abraham and Isaac. That is why we're here, and that will always be our message. And I want to ask you today, what does God want to do with your faith? Because I believe for every one of you here today, whether you're in the middle of a test or it's coming around the corner... God wants to do one of two things today. He either wants to birth your faith or he wants to build your faith. Which one is it? Would you bow your heads this morning? The heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your sacrifice in your place by faith, that's where faith begins. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that he loved. So that whoever would put their faith, believe in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. God has provided your substitutionary sacrifice. For some of you here today, God wants to birth your faith. And how is your faith birthed? When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross as payment for your sins. Some of you, maybe you've heard that message today for the first time. Some of you, you've heard that message, but you, now it's time for you to respond in faith. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you would say, you know what, I'm ready to receive Jesus. I'm ready to have my faith birthed. I'm ready to have a relationship with him. I'm ready to have my sins forgiven. I want to lead you in a prayer of faith that you can pray right now from your seat, from your heart to God's. Now listen, it's not the prayer that forgives your sins. It's not the words you say. It's the faith. It's the belief. And you can express that through a simple prayer that I will lead you through. If you're ready to do that today, if you're ready to have your faith birthed today from your heart to God's, would you pray this with me? Jesus, I call on you today. I believe in you today. I put my faith in you today. Birth my faith, Jesus. I want to know you. I accept you by faith as my personal Lord and Savior, thank you for dying for my sins. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Save me today. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me eternal life. Thank you for allowing me to have a relationship with you. Thank you. Thank you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, listen, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I want to pray for you. If you just took that step of faith for the first time, your faith was birthed today. The Bible says you are now one of our brothers or sisters in Christ. We welcome you in the family of God. But you're just a baby in Christ. And we want to help you grow. And we want to pray for your faith journey. And so, would you just with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer of faith for the first time and your faith was birthed today, would you just slip up your hand so I can pray for you, just so I can see it? Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? Just slip it up and put it down. Thank you. Yes, young man. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, in the top. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Just slip up your hand. Yes, I prayed that prayer of faith to invite Jesus in my life today for the first time. Pray for me in my new journey with him. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Yes, in the middle, I see you. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? 
I'm ready, yes, thank you, to have my faith birthed today. I'm tired of putting this off. Jesus died for me. Why would I turn, turn away from that? Anyone else? Several hands. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for those who have just had their faith birthed. We've seen a miracle birth take place right here this morning. I pray that they would grow in their relationship with you. And as, as newborn babes in Christ, we have a responsibility as a church family to love on them, accept them, meet them where they are, help them grow through the word of God. May we help them grow through the discipleship process to maturity. And may we come alongside of them and help them on their faith journey in the days ahead. Thank you for their decision today. We, we, we welcome them with open arms. We celebrate that they're part of your family now today. We, we, we welcome them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, I know there's a lot of believers here this morning. You, you, you remember the time your faith was birthed. You remember when you put your faith and trust in Christ. But let me ask you this. Does God want to build your faith today? Maybe you're going through a trial. You're going through a test right now. And, and there's a mountain you're trying to climb. Will you apply these lessons from Abraham? Will you expect that tests will come and how God will use them for a purpose in your life? Will you focus on God's promises like Abraham and not your circumstances? Will you believe with all of your heart and faith that God will provide? He's Jehovah Jireh. And in the mount of the Lord, He will provide and He will provide for you. And that when you put your faith and your trust in Him and you obey Him, that He will bless you. There will be rewards. If that's you this morning, if you would just say, you know what, I needed to hear that. I need to apply these lessons. I pray that I would have the faith of Abraham in the midst of the test and trial that I'm going through. Can I pray for you all across this auditorium this morning? Would you slip up your hands everywhere? Lift them up. Lift them up high. Hands everywhere in every section. Lift them up. Keep them up. Just lift your hand to the Lord. And let me pray with you. Just imagine that His hand is touching yours right now. And He is reaching down to you. To meet your needs like he did Abraham's. And Father, we call upon you, Jehovah Jireh, the God that will provide in the mount of the Lord. We pray that we would be at the right place at the right time with the right faith. That we would trust you. And that you would provide and meet our needs just like you did Abraham's. We call upon you today, God. And I pray for every person that is going through a trial and a test today or that will be in the days ahead. That they would remember the story of Abraham. And they would call on you and trust you and wait upon you to provide and put your hands down I want to ask you one other question maybe there's some of you here today and you know God is asking you to do something you know God is asking you to step out in an incredible way of faith like he did Abraham maybe there's something God's calling you to do maybe there's something God's calling you to stop doing but you know it but it's time for you to respond to it and obey like Abraham did is there anyone like that this morning? And God just laid that on my heart. You just look over here and say, yeah, I believe God is calling me to a huge step of faith right now in my life. Would you pray for me that I would trust God and take that step of faith, whatever it is. Lift up your hands nice and high. Yes, thank you. Many hands. Let me pray for you. Father, for those that are being called right now to step out in faith, to do something or stop doing something, like you called Abraham to, to step out in faith and do something. I pray they'd be obedient to you, God. That they would trust you. And they would look forward to your promises and blessings when we are obedient to you. And that it would be an act of worship in our life as we obey you in faith. And we trust you. And we're willing to make the sacrifices that you ask us to make. And that you would do incredibly, exceedingly, abundantly above all that we would ask or think in these people's lives. As they take these steps of faith, whatever they may be. And that you would be the same God to us that 
you were to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Moses and Noah and on and on and on. And we thank you, God, that you are a God that provides and that we can trust in. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said one big 